Welcome back to the Faith of the Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of our fathers. And today, I want to tell you about a conversation that was recorded between a demon and a Christian. And I think it's something you are going to find very familiar. I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them. What? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? Is this a Sunday school? Thanks, Dad. So I'm reading a book by a guy named Arthur Burt, which a friend gave me. I love to read the memoirs of Christians around the world who have faithfully served Jesus. And I had never heard of Arthur Burt before, but apparently uh, several other people in my circle have. And he was someone who traveled somewhat uh, for some time with Smith Wigglesworth and also saw miracles. God used him in a profound way. I've, I've really enjoyed reading his book. He got to live into his 90s, 99 years of age, actually, and uh, had a lot of wisdom to share. So I'm really enjoying this book. But he talked, he, uh, this part that I read this morning um, is really a conversation between a demon and a Christian, and I wanted to bring it to your attention because we've been talking on this podcast about uh, demons in the lives of Christians. Many people, uh, many Christians object to the notion that Christians can have demons. And I want to talk for a minute about what that means before we get into this story. So, there's there's a lot of different uh, schools of thought on how to talk about this. Some people will say Christians can't be possessed, but they can be oppressed. Um, they can be influenced, um, and you know there's there's a lot of different things people say about all that. Apparently, there's uh, I think Watchman Nee spoke about it. You know, like the <clears throat> demon can be in your soul, not in your spirit, or vice versa, something like that. I don't know. I haven't gotten to all that. All I know is that demons are in the lives of Christians. One, because I've seen people be delivered from demons where they had physical manifestations that once the demon was gone, ended. That says to me there was a demon in their life. So I think many Christians object to the idea that, uh, well, possession, one, when we say demon possession, that is a... um, a stumbling point for many people because they say, I belong to Jesus. I belong to the Holy Spirit, so I can't uh, be possessed by the devil. But it's interesting that even in Baptist churches where I spent um, many years in my uh, throughout high school attending a, a Baptist youth group, I heard many sermons about, um, and, and Baptists typically don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or um, in casting out demons. Uh, they just don't. It's just not part of their um, their worldview. I don't. I don't know that they ever really talk about it. Uh, but they did talk about this. I've heard the sermon multiple times about how we let Jesus in the front door of our house, but we we hide closets, we hide rooms. Uh, there are places in our life that we haven't let Jesus in, and we need to let him in those rooms. That's the same idea as saying that there are places where there's that are still inhabited by an evil spirit, that is still not in surrender to Jesus. Every Christian has this. If we struggle with sin, and every uh, believer does to some extent, uh, to want, you know, to varying degrees, we all struggle with demons. Um, also, the idea that 
you know, having a demon. Okay, well, actually, let me go back to this. Um, many people say, and I don't read Greek or Hebrew, but they say, you know, what the King James Version translates as demon possession can very well and probably should be translated as demonized, which is a very, um, gives a very different feel, where possession feels like you're out of control, a demon's in control of your body. I think most Christians believe in that in extreme forms, and I think, you know, I was in this camp somewhat, I just didn't give it much thought, but, you know, you can imagine someone out in the bush um, or somewhere uh, where they, you know, practice, um, where they practice human sacrifice, where they're doing all sorts of really dark things that someone could get possessed by an evil spirit and they're out of control. And, you know, that's kind of how we imagine it. And we say, well, certainly Christians be like, you can't be like that. Well, let me tell you one thing that um, human sacrifice is not only happening in the bush and in random, uh, not random, but in rural places in the world, human sacrifice is happening in the United States of America in some of the most prestigious places in the world. And it's something that we need to draw attention to, but that's an aside. So, uh, we, you know, we think of that as kind of a caricature of demon possession. And I think that um, certainly is demon possession when we see, you know, some, someone like the man of the tombs that Jesus encountered who lived in the tombs, didn't wear clothes. Whenever people chained him up or tied him up, he had the strength somehow in him in this weak, uh, you know, in this skinny, skin and bones, naked man, he was able to break those chains, supernatural strength. You know, uh, we can imagine that. But, um, you know, I, I think demonized leaves, gives a much different idea, which is more of a sliding scale, which I think is uh, much more helpful in understanding what's happening with demons in the lives of Christians. We all have places in our life that the light of Jesus still needs to shine. Um, and some of us have uh, deep hurts, deep wounds, also deep uh, places of darkness that, you know, from a season in our life where we dove into witchcraft or we dove into pornography, and we may have changed our behavior, but we haven't really uprooted that stuff. And so that needs to that needs to happen. And so there's a sliding scale, you know, depending on your background, depending, uh, depending on what's happened to you or what you have done, uh, where there may be uh, varying degrees of demonic influence, where you may be demonized. But where I would use the word possession is more in the area of a specific area where you are, um, you know, we say stuff like, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. I didn't mean to say that. So when we lose our temper, it means we lose control of our emotions. And for a certain amount of time in a certain, uh, certain area of our life, we were out of control. What was in control? If you lost your temper, what was in control? What was in control was anger. A spirit of anger was in control at that moment. So you were temporarily demon-possessed by a spirit of anger, which led you to do things you wouldn't normally do. It led you to say things which you wouldn't normally say. You know, that's the same with pornography, where, uh, you know, most of the, most, for the greater part of the day, we want to be holy, we want to be pure, we want to do the right thing, but... When that temptation comes and we start giving into it, it almost becomes uh, like a compulsion where we can't really stop ourselves. We feel like we can't stop ourselves. And then we're, next thing we know, we're consumed with a spirit of lust for a certain amount of time. Then it comes over and then we're consumed with a spirit of shame. So there's a lot of 
There's a lot of spiritual activity happening there, even in the lives of Christians. And, you know, this is something I find astounding is that many people say, you know, Christians can't have demons, yet Christians, many Christians are addicted to pornography, many Christians are addicted to nicotine, many Christians are addicted to all sorts of things, many Christians have problems with anger and pride. All these things are spiritual, and I don't know how we can say we don't have demonic influence in our lives if uh, if these things are active in our lives as well. So, whatever you want to call it, demon possession, demonized, demon influence. The point is there are demons in our lives. You know, it's the same as saying like, uh, come into someone's house and saying, oh, you know, did you know that you have mice in your house or you have rats in your house? Uh, because we see like part of the, the boxes of food have been nibbled through and someone says, oh no, they're not in my house. They live outside my house. And they come in every now and then to eat my food. Well, what difference does it make? There's a demon, there's a, there's a rat in your home, and you want to get rid of it. The point is, wherever demons are influencing, you want to get rid of it. And there are places where we know demons regularly influence us. Um, uh, you know, like I said, it may be anger, it may be pornography, um, it may be suicide, it may be all sorts of things. Um, but we recognize patterns, we recognize uh, thought patterns. And uh, once we recognize them as being a lie, not from God, we evict them, we reject them, uh, we get rid of them. So I want to share with you today um, a conversation that that Arthur Burt recorded in his in this memoir about a time that the Lord was teaching him uh, to obey, and he has a conversation with a demon. He doesn't call it a demon in this. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know the man. Never did. I wouldn't be surprised if if I asked him that he would say, yes, that is a demonic voice. But I resonate with this story very much because these are voices that I have heard and I've wrestled with, and I still do at various times. Um, And so I think it's a good example of normalizing what it looks like to have demonic influence in your life. So we're just going to try to take away the weirdness of all of this, you know, and make it a bring it into a place where you will recognize, oh yes, I have that experience in my life. I too wrestle with demons. After all, Paul does say that our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So if you're you know, if our battle is with principalities and powers in the heavenly places, then we should we must believe that we wrestle, at the very least, we wrestle with demons because Otherwise, you don't have a fight at all. Paul says that's what we wrestle with. So, uh, Arthur Burt, this is at the beginning of his memoir. He's young. One of the things he's he has said that he was wrestling with up to this point, he, he, I mean, he's devout, he's faithful, but he has uh, a spirit of pride, and he struggles with that pride. And so he's learning to be obedient. He's learning to lay down his idea of what it means to serve God and take up God's idea. So just that's a little bit of the context here. It says, in 1935, I was asked if I would be willing to go to New Southgate in London to, tep- to temporarily pastor a work which, been in co- which had been collapsed when the pastor who had been guilty of immorality left in disgrace. So this uh, Arthur Burt is from England, if I didn't tell you that. The congregation really wanted a married man to continue the work. Many people had left, and the few who had remained couldn't afford a married man as they had very little money. When they approached me, they explained, this is the situation. We cannot pay you more than 25 shillings a week 
from the church. Would you be prepared to go to New Southgate for a short period and handle the work until they can afford a married man? I agreed to do it. On the night I arrived, there was no bed for me, so I slept in a big chair in the vestry of the church. I took it in my stride. So that's a new thing for him. He's learning to take this kind of humiliating situation in stride. The next day, the secretary of the church came and said that he had found a lady who was willing to give me board and lodgings for 25 shillings a week. So every Friday, the treasurer gave me 25 shillings, and every Saturday, I handed it all over to my landlady. I learned that money talks. It says hello on Friday and goodbye on Saturday. That was, usual, that was my usual contact with money while I was there. I didn't have the money for a razor blade or toothpaste or two pence for a bus ride. I had nothing and scraped along as well as I could. A man I knew named T.J. Jones announced he was having a baptismal service in the Walthamstone, I'm not really sure how you say that, in London, a place in London, uh, and invited me as a fellow pastor. And he didn't know I was penniless, but that was the true situation. I believed God wanted me to go, so I accepted the invitation, knowing the Lord would provide. I presented myself to the Lord, and he told me, act normal, as if I had money. So I let my landlady know that I wouldn't be home until late, put my Bible under my arm, and walked to the bus stop. I was expecting the Lord to provide bus fare through one of the church members who would approach me, say hello, and slip money into my pocket. If the Lord wants me to go, here I am, but nobody came and the bus arrived. I wondered what to do. I've been in situations like this too, um, where I kind of play out in my mind how God is going to provide and how he's going to lead, and um, it doesn't work out the way that I thought, and there's the, the, the challenge of faith is to say, okay, I'm going to keep going because now it didn't go how I thought it would. I might be really humiliated. The Lord had said, act normally, I thought. Well, all right, if I act normally, I'll just act as if I have money in my pocket. So he, he presses forward. I raised my hand and the bus stopped. I stepped onto the bus, walked to the front, and sat down. Then my heart began to talk to me. This is the voice of a demon. Arthur Burt doesn't say that, but that's what I'm, I'm telling you today. He said, in my heart, I, this voice began to talk to me. You stupid, stupid, silly fool. You got on this bus without money. The Lord told me to get on this bus and act normally, I argued. Ha! Act normally, came the response. You fool. You're not acting normally. You're a fanatic. You're an idiot. You don't have your bus money. I have heard these voices many times after um, preaching, teaching, leading worship, whatever. I hear voices in my head that say, uh, you're stupid, you talk too much, you sang too long, whatever. And isn't it an interesting experience to have voices in our head that disagree? You know, that just tells us that we are interacting with spiritual beings because how could we have uh, two different and disagreeing voices in our head at the same time. I don't know, I responded, but God told me to act normally. Act normally, my heart said. That was your own thought. That wasn't God. As if God would tell a man to get on a bus without money. You're, cra- you're going crazy. You're a fanatic. I am not, I argued. Yes, you are, my heart insisted. He says my heart here, but this is the devil, because the devil you know, the the name Satan is actually more of like a title, which means the accuser. Satan is a prosecuting attorney, and all of these thoughts that he's hearing in his heart are accusations. You're a fool. You're an idiot. You're a fanatic. You're going crazy. 
um, you know, God would never tell you to do this. They're all accusations. That's how we know it's the devil speaking. So I got into a silent uh, ding-dong on the, uh, in the front of the bus. The conductor was upstairs on the double-decker. This is London, remember? When the bell rang and the bus stopped. This is also around the 1930s, I believe. A crowd of a dozen people got on, all talking, laughing, and shouting. I looked around but didn't recognize any of them. I got on with my personal battle. The Lord told me to act normally. The Lord never told you to do that. Here's that voice of accusation again. Do you realize what will appear next week in the Muswell Daily Times? Local pastor turned off bus through attempting to ride dishonestly. That is what it will say. You are bringing disgrace on the work of God. You know, the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And here this voice is pretending to want to protect the name of God. But what it's really doing is accusing the servant of God who is being obedient. No, I am not, I argued. I am acting normally. God told me. So he's, he is being tenacious and pressing forward in spite of these anxieties. And this is often what it looks like to have faith. Many times we imagine that people who are strong in faith never have any doubts, but that is not true. Most of the time, we're pressing through our doubts. At that moment, my battle was interrupted when I heard somebody in the back of me say, Praise the Lord! I looked around to see who it was, and a man stood up. Hello, Brother Bert, he called. Are you going to the baptismal service at T.J. Jones? I thought, he knows me, and answered, yes. We're all going. Have you got your ticket yet, brother? he asked. No, not yet, I replied. That's all right, I'll get yours with ours, he announced. So I safely arrived. Brother Jones asked me to minister, and with great liberty I ministered under the anointing of God. That's what happens when we're obedient to God. The, you know, he says that, uh, you know, previously in his uh, memoirs here, he struggled to, have, to be successful in ministry, to win people for Christ. He struggled in a lot of different ways. He had some successes, but he had a lot of struggles. But it says here that he ministered. He wasn't going to this event expecting to minister, but this Brother Jones, uh, who he, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, the Brother Jones is the one holding the meeting who had asked him to come. He asked him to minister, so maybe he did expect to minister, but he said he ministered with great liberty and under the anointing of God. That's what happens when we're in a humble position, and he was in a humble position where he was obedient, he was about to be humiliated, but the grace of God met him there, so he knew that it was God he was leaning on, and God alone. He wasn't leaning on his own strength here, and that is where the anointing of God really takes root. Well, I thought I've been I've been to the meeting. If worse comes to worse, I'll have to walk all night to get home. I don't know what else to do. So he's at the meeting. He doesn't know how he's going to get home. I was leaving the church when I heard a voice calling, Brother, it was the pastor, T.J. Jones. He ran up to me and stuck a 10-shilling note in my hand. Thank you, brother, he smiled. Thank you for your ministry. 10 shillings. In those days, 10 shillings was quite an acceptable sum. So, I don't know what you have done for the Lord, but I think anyone who has obeyed the Lord, who's truly listened to the voice of the Lord and obeyed, has had to do things that made them feel uncomfortable, that made them feel vulnerable. Um, And so that's acting in faith. And whenever we do that, all of our fears, all of our anxieties will come to the surface to do war with us. Those are the voice of the voices of demons. And it is why Paul says that we wrestle 
with principalities and powers in the heavenly places. To obey God is to engage in the battle. And it's so important that we learn to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, that we do wrestle with demons. People have often said that the one thing you're not supposed to talk about in polite society is politics and religion. But that's because politics and religion are the most potent uh, subjects known to to humanity. They deal with the big questions of life. The people who say don't talk about those things in polite society are the people who want to, to maintain the status quo. And the status quo is not stagnant, it's going somewhere. It's going in a particular direction. Just like today's, uh, those who say who call people election deniers, they call them that because the election went in the direction that they want it, wanted it to, and they don't want anyone interrupting the direction that things are headed. And so they don't want you to bring up controversial issues that will disrupt the status quo. Well, I want to disrupt the status quo, including in the church, because we are dying and we need a revival. And we're not going to get anywhere if we aren't willing to face the big, uh, difficult questions, the controversial questions. I love to talk about things like casting out demons in spite of the fact that it is controversial, because it's the areas of controversy where we find the deepest rooted passions of our heart. And with those deep passions, we're going to find deep-rooted lies. We need to be in the place of controversy because that's where the work of God takes place. That's where the surgery takes place. We cut away the old and we embrace the new from Jesus. And the stat- staying in status quo in the church means sliding into apathy. It means sliding into sin. It means letting the devil win. And we need to be engaged in the battle today. So I encourage you, don't listen to that that knee-jerk reaction in your own soul that, that gets offended and says, I can't have a demon because that's actually, ironically, a demon speaking that doesn't want you to notice its presence in your life. It doesn't want to get evicted. That's an important thing to know about demons is that they don't want to be found out because they don't want to leave, but we want them to find out. So if you're getting upset by the notion that you could have a demon in your life, that's a good sign that you have a demon in your life and you should want to get rid of that because freedom is on the other side. Deliverance, joy, all the fruit of the Spirit. Demons hold us captive and if we have any space given to them, whether it's a little or a lot, they will hold, withhold God's blessings from us because part of our soul is captured and we need to be liberated. So I hope this encourages you. I hope it normalizes Uh, what it means for a Christian to wrestle with a demon. I think this is a great example today, and I resonate with it, and I can't imagine anyone else who is following Jesus uh, in obedience won't also resonate with it. So if that's you, if you resonated with today's story, if you wrestle with voices in your head of accusation and doubt and fear, why don't you leave a message in the comments about your story wrestling with demons? We need to begin to address this issue because revival is on the other side of it. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.